this morning. But what I really want to give you are some Bible hacks. In other words, I want to help you to be a better Bible reader. Because many of us, you're here at church today, you read your Bible, at least you're here this morning to hear a sermon from the Bible, so you read it, you listen to sermons on it, you maybe go to Sunday school and do studies on it, but all of us can be better at reading the Bible, and certainly all of us can be better at living it out in our life. And so for the next few weeks, that is what I'm going to help you to learn, how to read our Bibles better. I want to ask you this question that seems pretty obvious to anyone who is in a church sanctuary on Sunday morning. Do you love Jesus? I would think most of you, I would hope all of you, would say yes. Then I would ask you, how often do you read your Bible? And you're probably thinking, what does how often I read my Bible have to do with how much I love Jesus? Jesus. Well, well, let me tell you, because there's a lot of Christians who say, I love Jesus, and I'll sing to Jesus, and I'll serve Jesus, and I'll give to Jesus, and yet they rarely even crack open their Bible. Maybe the only time they do it is on Sunday mornings. In fact, I saw a statistic, it was online, so it has to be true, okay? So take the source, that 82% of Christians only read their Bibles on Sunday. So if you say you love Jesus, but you're not reading your Bible, how does it really show, do you really love him? Because let me tell you this, think about this. If you said you loved your spouse, but you didn't know much about your spouse, you didn't talk to your spouse, you didn't spend time with your spouse, you didn't really want to know your spouse, you think you'd have that spouse for very long? I mean, that's that's a straight way to divorce court. When you love someone, you spend time with them, you learn from them, you grow together, And really, the only way that we can know Jesus is to read about Jesus and have the Holy Spirit uh, live through us. So think about this. If you're a Christian this morning, you heard the good news about Jesus, right? You heard that Jesus is a man, but he's also the Son of God. You heard that he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Galilee. You heard that he did miracles, and he showed that he was powerful and that he was God. And then he was arrested, and he died on the cross for our sin, and he rose again to life, and he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again. And you heard the good news and you believed, and God saved you, and, and you are a, a child of God now. You are a Christian. You are a brother or sister in the family of God. But I ask you this, how did you learn any of that? Maybe you heard a preacher. Maybe a friend told you. But whether a friend told you or a preacher told you, where did they get it? They got it from the Bible. If it wasn't for the Bible, we wouldn't know any of that. We wouldn't know anything about Jesus or what he did for us. If it wasn't for the Bible, we wouldn't know anything about God. That he's the creator, that he's loving, that he's merciful, that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he has a plan that includes us and includes us in the future with him. We wouldn't know any of that if it wasn't for the Bible. In fact, John says that about the gospel he wrote. John records seven miracles that Jesus did. And John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says it's believing. And when you believe, you have eternal life. But John says, you got to read it first. That's why I wrote it. I wrote down what Jesus did. And I wrote down what Jesus said. I wrote it down so you could read it, so you could know it, so you could believe. If John hadn't written, if there was no scripture, Jesus would have just been a figure in history forgotten about because no one would have known. So you see, we know about Jesus because of the Word of God, because of the Bible. And so to know Him better and to be one who's closer to Him and, and obeys Him more because we love Him, we need to be in the Word. In fact, Jesus says this about how we show our love for Him by obeying Him. Jesus said it very simply in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. I'm kind of glad that Jesus kept it simple, but it's not an easy thing to do, to keep his commands. But it's not a long list of things to do, is it? He didn't say, if you love me, uh, you'll uh, be in church every Sunday, sing these songs, you'll uh, celebrate my birth at Christmas. You know, he didn't say these things, he made it simple. If you love me, you will obey my commands. How do you know what his commands are. It's in the Bible. That's the only way that you can know what Jesus has commanded, is to read it, to know your Bible. So again, if you say you love Jesus, but you don't know what he said to do, then do you really love him? If you say you love Jesus and you know what the commands are, but you don't do them, do you really love him? And so that is the other challenge, the one challenge is a Christian who doesn't really know the Bible, but they say they love Jesus. The other challenge and the other warning is to a Christian who knows a whole lot about the Bible, but doesn't do it. How much do you know about the Bible? I, I thought I'd throw a couple of random, very difficult trivia questions at you from the Bible, okay? Uh, we have a, a Bible trivia game that Sarah and I have had since we've been married. I have no idea where we got it from be honest with you. It's probably a gift. It has hundreds of trivia questions in it. It has a small stack of cards that are children's questions, and most of them are supposed to be for adults. But when we've ever played it, we never do the adult questions because they're too hard. <laughs> we have to do the children's questions. And of course, you know, no one wants to play Bible trivia with the pastor because either they're going to win on his team and he's going to answer them all or the other team's going to lose. So that's a little bit disadvantaged to me. But to be honest, I don't know all the answers, especially with the hard questions in the adult section of that game. And that's where these two questions come from. Under whom did Paul study Jewish law? When I read these questions, sometimes I think there's no way that's in the Bible. How can that be in the Bible? And then they always give you the scripture reference. And so I look it up, and sure enough, that is in the Bible. So the guy that was Paul's teacher, Gamaliel, if that's even how you say his name, in Acts 22, verse 3, when Paul gives his testimony about his life and about how Jesus saved him, Gamaliel. Now this one I certainly did not know. So if you know this one, then you've got a Ph.D. in the Bible. What species of bird does Job describe as stupid? 
Now, I know stupid is a bad word. We're not supposed to say that in church, okay? But I copy this from the card. I imagine maybe 30 years ago, stupid wasn't as a bad word as it is today, especially for kids to use. But anyway, what species of bird? Anyone just want to shout out a bird? Take a wild guess, a wild bird guess. What? A dodo bird. That would make sense, a dodo bird. (laughs) I would think a dodo bird is stupid. It's an ostrich. In Job 39, 13 through 17. So you can look it up and find out. But this is my point. If you know all about the Bible, and if these and other trivia questions are simple to you, you've memorized the Bible cover to cover, you know it all, but you don't do any of it, you don't obey it, then you're no better than someone who knows nothing about the Bible. You see, James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What happens is too many times Christians will study the Bible, memorize the Bible, know the Bible, and they think because they know so much about the Bible that they are a godly person. It doesn't matter how much you know, it's how much you live out in your life. So you can deceive yourself, think, I'm a pretty good Christian. I know all the answers. But then your life doesn't show that you know God at all. James uses the the illustration of a mirror, of how someone who's a hearer but not a doer is like someone who looks in a mirror and sees how messed up their face is. But then they go out into public and don't change anything. I mean, why do you have the mirror in the first place if you're not going to change something when you look into it? And that's what James says. Why would you read the Bible and not change your life based on what you read? If you read it, it's meant to change you. So that's the the whole point of the Bible. The whole point of what God's doing in our life is to change us. I love this verse in Romans 8 because it gives us the whole plan of what God wants to do in our life. Paul says, for those he foreknew, that's referring to God, those that God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I want to stop there for a moment. Think about this. God chose us so that he could change us. Specifically to change us into the likeness, the image of his son, Jesus, so that we're all brothers and sisters. So think about this. When you look at a family, you can see mom and dad and the children in their eyes, sometimes even in their mannerisms, the way they say words. It's uncanny how so much of who we are is simply passed on to us by our parents. We want to deny that so many times, but it's so often true. And so what Paul is saying here, imagine this. God the Father has his family, and here is God the Son, but here are all of Jesus' brothers and sisters who look like him in the sense they act like Him. They're righteous like Him. They're holy like Him. They think like Him. They, they act like Him. That's what God is doing. He's changing us. Yes, we're born into sin. And we are sinners that are saved by grace. And we are sinners that continually have to confess our sin because we're not perfect yet. But God is going to make us perfect. And He's going to make us into the image of His Son. And how He does that is through the Word of God. 
It changes us. It transforms us. He does that through the Holy Spirit also working in us. What a, a wonderful plan God has for us. To take us, those he created, out of, I mean, we're just dust, he tells us. But he's going to take that dust and he's going to make it into a glorified human being who's like his son. Here's the whole plan. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is what God is doing. And so when you read your Bible, if it's not changing you, then honestly, you're wasting your time. I'm not telling you if it's not changing you to stop. I'm not telling you don't read your Bible because it's not changing you. But always have in mind as you are reading it and studying it, what are you going to do about it? And if you're not going to do anything, then you're missing the whole point of why you should read and study your Bible. So I'm going to help you this morning with three steps to make you a better Bible reader and then, and in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about some different skills that you can learn. Now, I didn't say three easy steps, okay? Because it's not always easy. But it is simple in this sense that you can remember three words. I've seen different uh, number of steps and different words in studying the Bible. And honestly, it just gets confusing to me. I can understand three. You get beyond three, then I, I get lost. So really, it's just three words or three questions. If you want to remember the words observation, interpretation, application. What do I see? What does it mean? And what must I do? We're going to do this this morning with Joshua 1, verse 8. And it begins with, what do I see? Let's look at the verse. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So, when you are looking at it, you are like a detective. You're trying to find anything and everything in those words, those phrases, those verses. No detail is too trivial. You want to find out who the people are, what they're doing, what time in the Bible it is. You're, you're a detective, you're an archaeologist, you're digging, you're discovering, you're looking. And this is an important step, especially for Christians who often read their Bible. Because Christians who often read their Bible, what happens sometimes is that we already think we know what it says. And so we kind of just read through it. Oh, I've heard that a hundred times. I know what it says. And we miss a word, or we miss a phrase, or we miss a different way God may be using it to speak to us. I'm sure it happens when we come to the Christmas story. When you're reading the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew, and you start reading it, you say, I know that. I've seen movies about it. We sing about it every Christmas. I decorate my house with a nativity scene. I've seen the nativity play. I know this. And so you probably read it, and you just cruise right on through it. So let me ask you this, what did the angels sing when they saw the shepherds? And before you answer, they didn't sing anything. If you read the scripture, it says the angels said something. And what 
time of the evening did the wise men get to the manger to worship Jesus with the shepherds? And before you answer, they weren't even there the same day. You know, if you read Matthew, you see the wise men came years later from when the shepherds came. They didn't come to worship an infant Jesus. They came to worship a toddler Jesus. And they didn't visit him at a manger. They visited him in his home in Bethlehem. After their visits, when Mary and Joseph and Jesus fled to Egypt, then they went to Galilee. But sometimes we read right through it. I mean, it's plain as day if you look carefully. But that's the problem. Sometimes we don't look carefully. We just breeze through it and think we know it and assume we know what it says because we've heard it so many times. So when we are observing, we're looking carefully. We're reading carefully. As I look at this verse, I look at things like, what is the book of the law? And who is talking? And who is the person talking to? And what does it mean to meditate? And what does it mean that uh, there'll be success? And what are the words so that? I mean, I, when I look at it, I even want to write it a little bit differently so I can understand it better. So the whole verse is about the book of the law. And there's a phrase that tells you what not to do. And then a phrase that tells what to do. And it tells you to do that for a purpose, for a reason, and then there's a promise that if you do that, this will happen. So when I write it out that way and highlight some of the words, when I look carefully at it, I, I, I see, starting to see the meaning of the verse start to come out. And really that's the, the next step, is to try to learn what it means. Now this is where it can get complicated because you know this, People will take any verse out of the Bible and they can almost make it say anything they want to. I would say this about the Bible, that there is only one true interpretation of every verse in the Bible. There's not ten, there's not a hundred. It can't mean what you want it to mean to you. It can't mean something to Americans, but something different to people in India. It can't mean something different to us in the 21st century than it did to someone in the 5th century. God is not a God of confusion. He tells us the truth, and He tells us what to do, and He tells us about Himself, and it is true today as it was when it was first written, as it will be in the future. But I will say this, that doesn't mean that we will always understand or come to, all of us come to the same conclusion of what every verse in the Bible means. We can, in humility, generally have differences of opinion about how a particular verse should be interpreted. But just because we can't figure it out or we have different opinions doesn't mean that God can't figure it out or that He has different opinions. Again, remember, we're still human. We're still sinners. We still have biases. We still have uh, places where we don't even see how blind we are to truth. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that uh, sinful, even saved sinful people can read the Word of God and misunderstand it or misinterpret it. But that doesn't stop us from doing the hard work and learning what a verse means. And often you will have to find some tools to help you. Sometimes you may need a map to show you where something is in the Bible. You may have to find a study Bible that will help you or find a commentary that will help you. There are tools and there are many of them out there that will help you to understand what a verse means. 
And so when we come to Joshua 1.8, if you answer all those questions that I had when I was looking at it, it becomes clear that this is part of a bigger story, that the book of the law is what God gave to Moses and to the Israelites. It is God's instructions to them of how to live life, how to worship Him, how to separate themselves from the nations that are around them. This is the book of the law. It was given to Moses on the mountain and delivered to the people. In fact, the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses retelling the law to the generation that was hearing it at that time. So this book of the law is very important. Again, it has God's do's and don'ts. It's got information about how to worship God. So that's the book of the law. And who is speaking? God is speaking. To whom is He speaking? He's speaking to Joshua. If you read before this verse, you find out that Joshua was the right-hand man of Moses, that Moses was the leader of Israel that brought them out of Egypt, that Moses now has passed away, and the generation that was punished in the desert for 40 years because of their lack of faith has passed away. And now Joshua is the new leader. And Joshua and the Israelites now are ready to go into the promised land that had been promised to their people, but they had missed out on it because of a lack of faith. But a generation is gone, and 40 years is gone. And now it's time to conquer. Now it's time to receive what God had promised. And so God here, right before they're getting ready to do that, talks to Joshua and tells him, that book of the law, that is super important. Don't ignore it. In fact, kind of he's talking about don't let it depart from your mouth. And he talks about meditating on it. The imagery is, is really chewing on it, which is kind of odd when you think about the Word of God sticking it in your mouth and chewing on it. You know, I wouldn't suggest tearing a page out of the Bible and, and chomping on it. It's not a good thing, but it's amazing to me how many times in the Bible that the Scripture is referred to as food. Because just like we need food to sustain our life, we need the living Word of God to sustain our life. Without the Word of God, there is no eternal life because we know nothing about the eternal life that we can have. And so think about the Word of God is, is going into your mouth. In Scripture, sometimes it's referred to as milk, sometimes to as meat. It's, uh, the psalmist talks about being sweeter than honey. So the things that we like to eat, I, I just wish that I had the appetite for um, the Word of God sometimes that I do for fast food when I want to just devour it, okay? So the same idea of having that, whatever you crave, crave the Word of God like that and put it into your mouth, into your soul, into your heart and chew on it and meditate on it. God says, do that, Joshua, because if you do that, then you will be able to go into the promised land and you will have success and you will have victory. You will know what I've commanded you to do. That's what that verse means. As I said earlier, really every verse only has one interpretation, but you can apply it in hundreds of different ways. In fact, it may be as many different ways to live out the Word of God as there are people. So that verse that tells us 
to taking God's word and to meditate on it and to obey it and that God will give us success, that is what we can do in our life. We have more than just the book of the law that was given to Moses. We have the entire scripture. And so think about taking it, reading it, memorizing it, chewing on it, meditating on it, letting it seep down into your soul, knowing who God is, knowing who you are, knowing what you're supposed to do, and then doing it, obeying God, and watch God bless because of your obedience to His Word, showing your love for Him. What a wonderful verse that gets us focused on really what is most important in our life, our relationship with God and knowing Him and obeying Him. Make the Bible the foundation of your life. Know it, memorize it, meditate on it, and obey it, and God will bless you. I do want to give you just a few quick resources that you can use to help you be a better Bible reader. Say that ten times fast, Bible, better Bible reader, better Bible reader, better. that's hard to say, isn't it? Anyway, <clears throat> I want you to think about this. All of us have phones nowadays, don't we? Just about everybody. And I'm kind of convicted about how much time I spend on my phone just to waste time. You know, if I'm waiting somewhere I'm in the doctor's office, maybe even in line at Walmart, I'm just impatient. And so I'll take my phone out and I'll just look at it. I'm usually looking at sports news or checking my email, or seeing if someone's texted me. So I'm always on the phone. And even, I hate to admit it, when I'm watching TV, I hate commercials. I even pull my phone out during the commercials and look at something. So I've always got my phone. I'm always looking at something. You might be looking at Facebook, Instagram. You're looking at the news. You're looking at sports. You're checking scores. You're doing all that. If you're wasting your time sometimes doing that, why don't you spend that time reading your Bible? Because you can have the Bible right on your phone. You can have the app that takes you to the Bible right next to the app that takes you to your favorite news or takes you to Facebook. It'll take up the same size on your screen. It'll get to you just as quick when you press it. But you'll have a lot more helpful information in the Bible app than you will probably, certainly, on your news app. And so I challenge you and encourage you, if you don't already have it, is to... Go to the App Store, Google Play, download the Version Bible app. This is what it looks like. That's why I have it up here so when you see it, you'll recognize it. You can read your Bible in a multitude of different translations. You can, they'll give you Bible plans so that you can read certain parts of the Bible all the way through the Bible in the year. But most importantly, your Bible is right there at your fingertips. In the past, it was hard, honestly, to carry a Bible around with you all the time. But now you've got it on your phone. So I don't see why it would be hard to read. It shouldn't be hard to read your Bible, and especially with all the time we waste on our phone. So I encourage you to do that. And I also encourage you to get this app. Now, especially if you have children here at Olive Branch, uh, on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings, if you download this app, you can see the Bible story for the week. You'll have questions that you can help your children uh, reinforce what they learned on Sunday or Wednesday night. On Sunday mornings, it's Bible Studies for Life. On Wednesday night, it's the Gospel Project. You download that app, and you will know almost as much as the teacher does about what your kids learn. Because I always know when you ask your children, what you learn in Sunday school? What did you learn at church? Just like school. I don't know. 
or something, or, you know, you know the responses you get. So you can pull it up and say, oh, I see here, today you learned about Jesus calming the storm. And let me ask you a couple of questions about it. You know, you can do that if you want to with your kids. But the reason I say for all of you to get it is that it actually has on it uh, games that are intended for children. Let's be honest, some of them have, us adults have to have simple games to learn things. So the games on there are to help you learn the books of the Bible in order. They're there to help you to learn how to read the Bible. Yes, there's Bible skills intended to teach children, but they're very helpful for adults. For example, if you're learning the books of the Bible, if you can't recite them in order now, there's a game on there that will help you do it. You've got to start with Genesis, and you've got to press the next one. If you get it wrong, it doesn't, nothing happens. If you get it right, then the next book comes up in the list. And you practice on that, pretty soon you'll have them from beginning to end. Now, I know this, too. I know that when on Sunday mornings... I have the words on the screen. I'm kind of discouraging from carrying a Bible. I don't even have a Bible up here with me. I think I left it over there in the pew. And I know that uh, you, because of that, sometimes, you know, I remember in the past we do Bible drills and we try to get to the Bible as quick as we could and to the verse. And so the, especially if you're having to flip through your Bible, it's very handy to know the books of the Bible in order so that you don't look for 2 John at the front of your Bible and you don't have to be flipping or looking at the table of contents. But doing all that's fine. So I know maybe it's not as necessary when you get the Bible app. You can press 2 John and it will go right there. But still, there is value in knowing the books of the Bible and knowing them in order. It helps you to find them. It helps you to know how they're ordered. Last thing, a couple of resources. These are actual books, but they're also downloadable as e-books. And they have been around for a long time, but they're very, very helpful 30 Days to Understanding the Bible will help you understand the themes of the Bible, the overall story of the Bible, the major sections of the Bible, the major geographic areas of the Bible. So it will help you, and just like the book says, you spend about 15 minutes for a month every day, and you will have the big picture of the Bible down pat. So it's an excellent resource. It's uh, fun to read, easy to read, but it's very, very helpful. In your sermon notes, I gave you a website you can go to. I even gave you the price. And I said, if you don't want to actually buy the book, you can download it as an e-book. The same with Living by the Book. It's written by uh, Howard Hendricks, and his son is added to it. Howard Hendricks was a professor at Dallas Seminary. He's passed away uh, now. But when I was there, uh, I took his class on how to read the Bible. This idea of observation, interpretation, application is what he taught in his class. I don't even know that he was the one who originated that. It's not uh, original to me by no means. I don't even know if it was to Dr. Hendricks, but it's an excellent way to read the Bible. So if you read that book, it will go through those three steps in much more detail and much more helpful illustrations and information than I can give you in a sermon. So again, in sermon notes, you can download those, buy those. Unfortunately, you can't find a Christian bookstore anymore, can you? I mean, Lifeway's closed all of theirs. And so if you want to go actually buy a book, good luck in doing that. You don't really, the only way to really to get them anymore is to order them online or download them. So those are some tools. My challenge to you is this. We have uh, seen in three steps how to read your Bible. And we've had a look at Joshua 1.8, a command from God to read it, to obey it, and receive the blessing of God. 
That's my simple challenge to you this morning. Read the Bible this afternoon, tomorrow, Tuesday. Read it. Read it carefully. Think about it during the day. Meditate on it. Allow it to sink into your soul. But then do something. I would encourage you every time you read the Bible to at least write down or make something, you know, you don't have to write it down in your mind that you're going to do that's going to be in obedience to what God has taught you in that verse. We're going to go on a journey this year of learning the Bible and learning how to study it better because it's so vitally important in our lives. So let's start the journey today by responding to God in that way. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, that you have not left us in the dark about who you are or about salvation, about our future. (coughs) Excuse me. Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you and to love your word more. I pray that you would help us to obey you more. And I pray, Lord, that we would crave your word and, and following you and loving you as much as we crave so much else in our life. Lord, I pray that our response this morning is to be more in the image of you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.